1970, William Friedkin was a little-known director with a few pictures under his belt. By 1975, he climbed to the top of the Hollywood mountain, winning an Oscar for The French Connection and breaking box office records with The Exorcist. Friedkin was now at the forefront of the New Hollywood Movement, a period in the 1970s in which young directors like Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Hal Ashby, and William Friedkin could call their own shots. Today, we're going to take a look at what Friedkin decided to do after his dizzying highs of The French Connection and The Exorcist. Welcome to the industry. After the combined success of The French Connection and The Exorcist, William Friedkin signed a three-picture deal with Universal. He can essentially make any movie that he wants. And the first movie that he comes up with as a part of his three-picture deal is a remake of the 1953 French picture The Wages of Fear. Now, The Wages of Fear is about four men, four strangers. They're all hiding out in South America from crimes they've committed. Things pick up when a nearby oil well goes up in flames, and the only way to put the fire out is to blow the well, and the cheap and easy way to do that is with some nitroglycerin that happens to be around. Now, the problem is, the only way to get the nitro to the oil well is to put it into a truck and have that truck go through a treacherous drive through the jungle, where the slightest bump where the slightest vibration could set everything sky high. Now, where would you find some people who would make such a drive? Cue the four desperate men who are living in squalor with nothing left to lose, and now you've got the idea of the wages of fear. Now, for starters, Friedkin needed to acquire the film rights, and it was a little more complicated than he anticipated. Now, the original film, directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau, is an iconic film, but Friedkin learned that Clouseau did not own the rights. In fact, it was the novelist Georges Arnaud who owned the original source material, who also owned the rights to the movie. Now, as it turns out, Arnaud had a feud going on with Clouseau, the director of the film. Believe it or not, even though The Wages of Fear, 1953, is considered to be a classic, the author of the source material is not a fan of it. So, even though Friedkin met with Arnott, got the rights, he still felt the need to speak with the director of the original Wages of Fear. Needed to get his blessing first. He meets with him in Paris, and Clouseau does not give him his blessing. Now, he doesn't oppose the film either. He just simply says, I don't own the rights. I can't control it. You're going to just do whatever you're going to do anyway. The original idea for it, for William Friedkin, was to make it for about $2.5 million. It was going to be a quickie, something in between the major films that he wanted to do. It starts out that way, but it quickly starts growing into something else. The cast that Friedkin envisions for the four men is this all-star cast of international actors. Steve McQueen, Marcello Mastriani, and Lino Ventura. And it seemed like he could have had all three. For McQueen, he loved the script. This is the best script I've ever read, is what he said regarding it. Now, he agrees to do the movie, although Steve McQueen wants to bring his wife actress Ali McGraw along and asked Friedkin, hey, can you do me a favor and put her in the movie? Now, there's no women in Sorcerer, so Friedkin refuses. 
McQueen then comes up with another idea. Hey, can you make her an associate producer, which then she can come with me and have something to do. And again, Friedkin refuses, and with this, Steve McQueen drops out. Now, Friedkin goes ahead and, and offers it to a few other people. Robert Mitchum passed on the role, and a few others. Eventually, it ends up with Roy Scheider. Now, Scheider is hot off of the success of Jaws from 1975, and he had worked well with Friedkin in the past on The French Connection. That had changed, though, because Scheider really wanted to do The Exorcist. He wanted the role that Jason Miller ended up playing and was really upset when he was denied that part. So even though Scheider was in, he was not exactly happy on the set. After Scheider was cast, Mastriani was the next person to drop out. His reason was because his marriage at the time to Catherine Deneuve was failing and he felt that he needed the time to take care of this. As for Lino Ventura, while he could understand being rated underneath somebody like Steve McQueen. He simply couldn't see himself being billed under Roy Scheider. So he was going to be out. So Friedkin has to recast his major roles. So for the role of Nilo, which is a hitman, that would end up being played by Francisco Rabal. Now, oddly enough, Rabal was somebody that Friedkin wanted to play the bad guy, Charnier in the French Connection all the way back in 1971. But through an error, the part was accidentally offered to Fernando Rey, who ended up playing the role. French actor Bruno Cremer would end up taking the role that was intended for Lino Ventura. As far as the fourth guy, Friedkin would get his first choice for the role of Kasim, a French-Moroccan actor by the name of Amadou would end up taking the role. With his cast set, Universal was less than impressed. Lou Wasserman, who was running Universal at the time, advised Friedkin, maybe you should forget the whole thing, and I'll tell you, unless you find a co-financer to be brought in on this one, we're not going to go forward with this movie. But as it turned out, that ended up not being a problem at all, as Friedkin found a partner in Paramount Pictures. They were more than willing to get on board for the simple reason was that Paramount's head, Charlie Bluthorn, had a particular interest in getting in the sorcerer business. He wanted Friedkin to shoot the movie in the Dominican Republic, where he happened to own a number of businesses. The budget has already grown, with all of these changes, to $12 million. So, to give you some perspective on what $12 million is like for a movie budget in 1977, here is a couple of other budgets for 1977. Smokey and the Bandit, for example, cost $4.3 million. It would end up grossing $126 the Deep cost $9 million, We end up grossing 47 And Star Wars cost $11 million in 1977 and would go on to gross $307 million. So now you got the idea. In the Dominican Republic, production gets going in April of 1976, and there's a number of problems. Friedkin was frequently dissatisfied with his crew and would dismiss his entire camera crew, including cinematographer Dick Bush, before filming was done. He also had a falling out with, with the chief Teamsters representative, who he also ended up firing and prompted him to have to find an entire new trucker crew. The director also ended up firing several production managers. All of this was upsetting Roy Scheider, who said that he was, quote, 
tired of going to the airport and saying goodbye to them. But the best example of the difficulty of the sorcerer shoot has got to be personified by the shooting of the bridge sequence. Now, the bridge sequence was intended to be the standout and the signature moment in the picture. Two giant trucks carrying dangerous nitroglycerin over a classic rickety wooden bridge that looks like it could collapse at any moment. You know the exact kind of bridge that we're talking about. It's the kind that you would only find in the middle of the jungle. John Box, a four-time Academy Award winner for production design, he was the man tasked to design the bridge, and he did, complete with hidden hydraulics that would make the bridge sway but not capsize. The building of the bridge took three months to complete at a cost of a half million dollars. You know, over in the Dominican Republic, Friedkin found the perfect river to use. It was 12 feet deep and 200 feet across. And as the crew assembled the giant set piece of this bridge, the constant rain that was going on started to be not so constant. And the 12-foot river started to dry up. And as they kept assembling that bridge, it ended up drying up completely by the time they were done. The river was unusable. Friedkin was not going to be defeated by some dried-up river. Instead, he sent out production scout to find a new location for his bridge. John Box ended up finding the perfect spot. It was about 100 miles southeast of Veracruz, Mexico, and deep into the jungles off the Papalopan River. Friedkin and his crew arrived at a small Aztec village to set up shop. And when he got there, what he found was all of the villagers were running out of town. When he asked where everybody was going, he was told, well, we're leaving because the man who made the exorcist was coming and we're a very religious community. And honestly, that's a sign of bad karma when a guy like that shows up. The bridge was reassembled in Mexico. And again, this took weeks. All of this adding to the cost of the movie. And if you can believe it or not, as they started to put that bridge together, the river began to dry up. Yes, a second time. At this point, Friedkin feels that he's committed to this particular location and was not going to reassemble that bridge and set it up somewhere else. Instead, he ended up making up for it by diverting sections of the river and using pumping machines to get the water going. He also added some man-made rain in order to disguise the low levels. When you watch that sequence, you cannot really tell that the river is low. When it's all said and done, the bridge sequence, which takes up about 10% of the movie, ended up costing $3 million alone to make. The budget of the movie, as I had said, originally thought of as a $2.5 million quickie has now grown to $12 million. By the time everything was all said and done, the final budget, the final tally of Sorcerer was roughly over $21 million. Now, the only thing that could save the movie at this point was a huge box office. It was scheduled for release in June of 1977. It was marketed as a bold new work from a visionary director. In 1971, William Friedkin directed The French Connection. It received five Academy Awards, including Best Picture of the Year. In 1974, he directed The Exorcist. It made history. Since then, Friedkin has spent over two years in five countries on three continents, creating his latest film. 
an unusual adventure into the realm of suspense. Four men, condemned by their past, robbed of their future, trapped in a life that was also a death. Four men take an incredible chance, face an impossible challenge, and risk the only thing they have left to lose. Roy Scheider, in a new film by William Friedkin. Sorcerer, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Booked at Man's Chinese Theater. This was according to a contract that the Chinese Theater had with Paramount Pictures. Just a few weeks, though, before Sorcerer was due to come out, a little indie movie you may have heard of called Star Wars had come out and had become an instant sensation. So much so that the Chinese Theater called Paramount and asked them to let them out of their obligation for Sorcerer, but Paramount wouldn't budge. Out went Star Wars and in went Sorcerer. And out went the audience, who simply found another place to watch Star Wars for the fourth, fifth, and sixth time. So once the Paramount obligation was met, Sorcerer was tossed right out of the Chinese theater, and Star Wars was brought right back in. Audiences essentially rejected this film. Some walked out during the four prologue scenes that opened the picture, because three of them weren't in English. This ended up leading to a lobby placards being placed out that read the following... Your attention, please. To dramatize the diverse background of the principal characters in Sorcerer, two of the opening sequences were filmed in the appropriate foreign languages with subtitles in English. Other than these opening scenes, Sorcerer is an English-language film. This didn't help. Also not helping was the title. A movie called Sorcerer, where there is no sorcerer in the movie, can be a little misleading. Rather than simply use the title Wages of Fear, Freakin came up with that title as a little reference to his previous picture, The Exorcist, and it is the name of one of the two trucks in the movie, while Sorcerer was clearly not a great title. Clearly confusing to audiences. His original idea of calling it Ball Breaker was quickly rejected and prompted Wasserman to ask, Are you out of your mind? Over in Europe, where it was distributed by a different company, they simply ignored the title and called it Wages of Fear, though that didn't really help its box office either. Critics, for the most part, didn't care for it either. Just for an example, Andrew Saris, in his July 18, 1977 review for The Village Voice, said it was a visual and oral textbook on everything that is wrong with current movies. Peter Biskin described the movie as self-consciously arty and pretentious and fatally trapped between America and Europe, commerce and art. In the end, Sorcerer ended up grossing only $5.9 million. Being rejected by audiences seemingly in favor of Star Wars, it made it sort of a martyr of the new Hollywood movement that had been going on, slayed by the blockbuster. After all, It offered up four protagonists and almost dares you to like them. They've all committed crimes, which you've watched them commit. They're all fading away in the jungle until some insane opportunity comes along to potentially make them some money. And also, this movie does not really have a happy ending. 
Now you go ahead, you contrast that with the clearly defined good guys and bad guys and happy ending and Star Wars, and you can kind of understand why audiences didn't really really go for Sorcerer. It died a quick death. But not everyone disliked it. I saw it opening day here in, here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yep. That's Toby Roan. He runs the Sorcerer blog. It's a blog about, you guessed it, Sorcerer, that he's been running for the last few years. Five years, maybe? Four years? Something like that? I spoke with Toby in 2016 about his appreciation for Sorcerer. And even though he's been running this blog for a number of years, it's not his favorite movie. It is not my favorite movie of all time. However, what Toby does cite about Sorcerer and the reason he's attached to it and has been driven to write a blog regarding it for the last few years is the experience that you have when you watch Sorcerer. I'll let him explain it. Well, it was me and my dad, and I think maybe five other people total. It's a 7 o'clock show, opening mm-hmm. night, you yeah. know? So it was kind of weird to begin with that there was, so, there was nobody there. And um, <laughs> it had been advertised pretty heavily. Right. Um, and I was 13 years old, but I had already seen French Connection and was a... You know, thought that was the greatest thing ever. So I was, I knew who Friedkin was, and of course I was the Jaws nut. So I knew who Roy Scheider was. So I was really stoked about the whole thing. So going in, and um, you know, the trailers with the trucks and all that stuff just made it. I'm just, you know, I was 13 years old. You know, Mm -hmm. dirty guys driving trucks on a bridge. I was pretty, you know, I was I was pre-sold. So um, (laughs) just go, go in there. And sitting there, and, you know, the title was weird, so you didn't really know what in the world you were really getting into, you know. I hadn't seen The Exorcist, but I knew it was, you know, knew some of its story, and so, you know, the guy who made French Connection and the guy who made The Exorcist, you know, I just, my expectations were that it would be, you know, quite a ride, and I was, of course, I was right. But um, I just remember, through the whole thing, just clawing at the handle, you know, the armrest of the seat, and not eating my candy, and <laughs> just having this this feeling that I was just just this just, just an icky feeling to the whole thing, you know. It just <laughs> I was so sucked in, and then you know, just um, it just had me, you know. And it was I felt dirty when it was over. You know, a lot of people have said that before, <laughs> you know, that you feel like you need to take a bath, and it just it just tied me up in knots. It really did. And, you know, the scene on the bridge, or the two scenes on the bridge, it just it just chewed me up and spit me out. And that was, you know, to me, that was, you know, wow, movies can do this to people. They're not, you know, I'd seen movies that had affected me, but nothing like that. And nothing since, really. And Toby's not alone. Over time, there's been a reassessment of Sorcerer. The soundtrack by Tangerine Dream is considered to be a masterpiece. It was the first feature film soundtrack that the band had done, and they would go on to score over 50 movies, TV shows, and video games. Stephen King named it number one on his list of 20 movie rentals that never let me down. Quentin Tarantino put it on his 2012 Sight & Sound personal top 12 films. And to give credit where it's due, all the way back in 1977, Roger Ebert did have it as his number nine movie of the year. And another bizarre twist with this film. In 2012, Friedkin was suing both Universal and Paramount over the rights of the movie. He was basically actually just trying to find out who owned the rights, and neither company was saying it was them. Instead, 
They said the rights to Sorcerer were owned by a company called Cinema International Corporation. Now, this was a company that Paramount and Universal had founded together in the early 1970s. Now, the idea was that this would be a company that would release movies internationally for them. This company had gone out of business long before 2012. With a March 2013 court date set, Friedkin was able to settle the right situation before an actual trial began. This meant a new print of Sorcerer was made, where it then toured festivals and art houses, now as a rediscovered classic. On June 14, 2014, Sorcerer made its way finally onto Blu-ray. And for those of you who need to know, it is currently 83% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Friedkin himself acknowledges that his ego was out of control and led to some of the problems he encountered and bad decisions he made while making Sorcerer. He regrets not giving in to Steve McQueen's request, realizing that McQueen's bankability could have saved the movie. However, he does list it as one of the best films he's made. Perhaps the best example of Friedkin's attitude is summed up by this story from his memoir, The Friedkin Connection. A Paramount executive made the suggestion that he had an encounter of sorts, something to let the audience know how long the trip the two trucks was supposed to take and how far they'd gone. You could very easily do this as an insert. Basically, you'd get inside one of the trucks, film a quick close-up of the odometer, and you should be done. But Friedkin's initial reaction to this idea was, I don't shoot inserts, and was actually prepared to go back into the jungles of Mexico and the Dominican Republic just to get these shots. As in, get the full crew, get the trucks, put everybody back in the jungle so we could take a shot of the odometer. A week later, he realized that maybe this wasn't such a good idea and did these shots as inserts on the Universal lot in Los Angeles. And also, it should be noted that he does not consider this to be a remake, even though some of you out there do. In 2013, in an interview with Vulture.com, he said, quote, This is not a remake of The Wages of Fear. Somebody's probably doing Hamlet somewhere right now. That's not a remake of Hamlet. Sorcerer is a new version of a classic story. And to end this episode on Sorcerer, I will let Toby Roan have the final word. I've been thinking that I hope that it, it you know, there's a DVD version. There's the nice Blu-ray and the little booklet thing. And then there was the standard DVD version. And I kept thinking, man, if that DVD winds up for like five bucks at Walmart, I'm going to buy a stack of them and just start handing them out to people. You know? <laughs> truly be an evangelist for this movie and just hand them to people. And you can find Toby's Sorcerer blog at sorcerer1977.wordpress.com Thank you for listening to this episode of The Industry. Today's show was written, edited, and hosted by Dan Delgado. Hey, that's me! Music in this episode was by Anytime Soon, Hadrian, Double J, and Miguel Johnson. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend or six and let them know that the industry is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We'll be back again next week with another story about the things that went on in the industry. Good night.